have any idea uh, what I do as a pastor. And I think if I you know, took some of you aside and said, hey, can you just tell me uh, what you think Pastor Allen does for a living? You'd say, well, I know he preaches sermons on Sunday, and uh, he, uh, he dedicates babies, he uh, does some baptisms, uh, he does uh, weddings and funerals, and um, uh, I, he visits people who are sick and maybe in the hospital, and uh, I can't think of really anything else. Well, if, uh, if you think that's all I do, then you really don't know what I'm doing, and you really should since when you give offerings, that actually pays my salary. <laughs> you really need to know what I do. Now, the joke is, uh, and I, I, if I had a, a quarter for every time someone said this to me, Pastor, you only work on Sundays, right? <laughs> if I had a quarter every time I heard that. The fact of the matter is, is that my real work is to make disciples. And uh, in, in my position, um, my job is to lead the process of making disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple really is a pupil of Jesus Christ. That's at the very root of the word disciple is the word pupil, a student, a follower, somebody who's learning from Christ. And that's my job. My job is to teach you how to follow Christ. And I tell the young people that on Friday night, look, at, I'm, I'm not coming to a drop-in center uh, to just uh, you know, to get some young adults together to put on activities for you. What I what we're doing throughout the course of the week, whether it's Tuesday night kids club or Friday night youth uh, or Sunday services uh, or or whatever we do, we're in this process of making disciples, teaching people how to follow Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, it is the hardest work in the world, especially in the year 2019. With the advent of the TV preacher and YouTube preachers, people really have this notion, this idea, well, I don't really need a pastor because I can just go to YouTube and hear all the sermons that I want, or I can turn the TV on and listen to all the sermons that I want. Now, the problem with that approach is that you believe that you can be a follower of Jesus Christ by simply hearing good sermons. And the, the, the more jokes the pastor tells, the better, right? Amen? Amen. Oh, I don't know how to answer that one. If the pastor can be amusing and tell some good stories and tell some good inspirational stories, if he can tell about some of the miracles he's done, well, we're going to send him our money and uh, we're going to make him rich. I want to tell you, this, this model for Christianity is so utterly and contrary to New Testament Christianity, uh, I don't even know where to begin. So rather than trying to point out all the reasons why uh, North American Christianity is faulty, what I want to do this morning is I want to begin this series called Remain in Christ. I want to teach you what it means to be a disciple or a follower of Jesus Christ. And I can tell you this, most people don't like being told what to do. How many people like to be told what to do? Well, of course, none of us do. And, 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 and we know that. It's in us. It's in us to, to, to rebel, actually. The minute someone tries to tell something we don't want to hear, we shut down. We don't want to hear about it. Don't talk to me about it. I, I don't want to know. Isn't that right? And if, if you've had children, you know that there's, there's sometimes a spirit of rebellion um, where you just, you just want to go against what the authority says. In fact, the Apostle Paul says that about the law. The, the, as soon as we tell someone you can't do something, what do they want to do? They want to do that thing that they shouldn't do. 
And so some, some, uh, some parents try to use uh, reverse psychology, and, uh, and you try to use all these techniques to try to get your kids to obey you. Well, the fact of the matter is um, we need to be taught. We need to be taught what it means to follow Jesus. And I'm going to tell you right now, and it's really critical that you understand this today, it's not enough just to hear sermons. Did you get that? It's not enough just to get information. There's got to be more to it. And so that's what we're going to talk about. What does it mean to remain in Christ? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, you'll, some of you know, if you've been around here for a while, that a number of years ago, I came up with, um, with what, what we call the seven habits. And what these habits are, basically the, the habits of Jesus, the behaviors of Christ. Now, if you have been a Christian for any length of time, you know that Jesus says that if we want to be his disciples, we must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Do what he does. And so as a pastor who's trying to make disciples, I I began this this search to discover what is it it that Jesus did? What were his behaviors? Now, it's it's really important to understand this. Being a Christian is not just what you believe. It's not just what you know, it's what you do. Did you get that? I know whether you are a Christian or not by what you do. In fact, Jesus says this, and we're going to read about that in just a moment, John 15. Jesus says, we know, we know what kind of a tree it is by its fruit. We, we know whether or not we are where we need to be according to the fruit that we produce. And so it's critical then that we understand what it means to remain in Christ. Now, when I shared the seven habits with um, the Burundi pastors, I'm going to tell you, they instantly, instantly understood this. They understood the the power of it. Because for many of them, they're trying to teach their people. They don't know really how to, they don't really know how to make the disciples. But when we explain that a follower of Christ, first of all, has a daily walk with God, that is praying and reading his Bible, that... uh, a follower of Jesus Christ, a true disciple of Jesus Christ, goes to church every Sunday. That a true follower of Jesus Christ is holy moment by moment. That is, he asks himself, what would Jesus do before he makes a decision? Before he does anything, he's asking, what would Jesus do? A true follower of Jesus Christ understands that, that the people he hangs out with will really determine how he or she acts. And so, therefore, it's important that you're in a small group, that you're connected to other believers, learning and growing in fellowship with other believers. That's why we uh, have what we call small groups. I'm going to tell you, it's not easy to do this. It's not easy to to manage and to organize and to lead this. But I'm going to tell you right now, folks, that being in a small group is life-changing. You can hardly wait to meet with my small group tonight. Right, Dev? Your Dev's in our small group. A follower of Jesus Christ is a servant. Jesus said that, he says, I did not come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So a true follower of Christ serves. What else does a true follower of Jesus Christ do? Well, he goes and makes disciples. These are the last words of Jesus Christ before he left this earth. Go into all the world and make disciples. What's a disciple? A disciple is somebody who follows Jesus. And a pastor, that's, my main job is to, to just work on that, to help you be true followers of Jesus Christ. And then finally, a true follower of Jesus Christ gives. We're givers. That's who we are. And we don't apologize for asking. We, uh, at least we don't apologize for asking 
our, our believers, our church members, true Christians to give, because that's who we are. That's what we do. When I shared that with the pastors in Burundi, man, they got that instantly. They understood the power of that. In fact, uh, when we did that conference, a uh, pastor's conference in Burundi, uh, after the introduction, we just did the introduction where I, I quickly ran through the seven habits to help people understand what they're all about. And uh, I had a pastor come to me and said, you know what, Pastor Allen, uh, if all I got was the introduction to the seven habits, uh, I got my money's worth getting to this conference. This, this is life-changing. As I know now what to do in my church, how to, how to teach my people how to follow Christ. I... Uh, I'm sad to say there's a whole generation of young people coming out of Bible college now that don't have a clue how to make disciples. They don't understand it at all. They don't understand that to be a, a disciple means that you're disciplined. Did you see the similarities between those two words? Disciple and discipline. At the root of these two words is, in fact, the word pupil. A habit is actually a discipline. And if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then you have certain disciplines, certain habits that, le- that guide you in, in your decision-making and, and how you live your life. So I had to ask this one young person fresh out of Bible school, uh, so uh, how do you feel about, about using the seven habits tool as a way to, to, to make disciples? He goes, ah, you know, it doesn't really resonate with me. So I said, well, do you, do you disagree with any of those seven things? No, no, I agree with all those. So I said, well, uh, so what, do you, what doesn't resonate with you? He goes, I don't know, really. I said, well, okay, fine. Well, what would be, what would be your, your tool? What would, you, what would be your model? What would you use to teach people to follow Christ? And this is what he literally did. So I said, what is that? What are you, do, what are you doing? Is it a, is it a touchdown? <laughs> What, what's going on? And you know what he said? He said, oh, you just, this is the funnel, and you just let God pour in. Oh, I wish it were that easy. I wish I could teach everybody, just do this, everybody. Just do it for one hour, and then we'll go home. Just let God pour in. What does that even mean? Well, first of all, it's not in the Bible anywhere. Well, it kind of is. It kind of is. But I'm going to tell you right now, getting more information and more spiritual experiences is not enough. Jesus is calling us to a way of life, to a new way of living. Behaviors have got to change. We have to become new people. In fact, Jesus, uh, Jesus makes it clear to us that when we become Christians, we are, in fact, new creation. But the question then is how now do we live? What does our life looks like, look like? So, Jesus says to uh, his disciples just before he leaves the earth, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, shared this with the youth on Friday night. Jesus says, go into all the world and make, teaching them to obey. Stop right there. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Now, this is what it means to be a Christian. And by the way, this is the difference between somebody who's religious and somebody who's a true believer. Somebody who's religious has got an, what we call an exterior religion, you know, where you, you, you go through the religious rituals and you think that somehow by going through those religious rituals, 
that somehow that's good enough. But we, we don't see that anywhere in the New Testament where it's calling us to fulfill religious rituals. In fact, what we see in the New Testament is there's an inter- internal transformation. There's something that happens on the inside. And when something happens in the inside, then something happens on the outside. That's the difference between being religious and being a true Christian. A religious person has all the religious pictures on the wall. They know they, all the genuflecting, bowing, and, and all the paraphernalia that goes along with being a religious person. I'm not talking about being religious. I'm talking about being a follower of Jesus Christ, where your heart is connected to the heart of Jesus. That's what this series is about. Now, Jesus uh, tells his disciples, the, the, actually, the, the, best, the best advice he could possibly give them in his final hours before going to the cross. We read about it in John chapter 15. Some of you know that Easter's coming soon. And uh, Jesus was on his way to the cross. He was on the way to be crucified. And, and he wants to give his disciples some great instruction, some great advice to help them remain true to him, and to help them to be followers of Christ. Here's what he says in John chapter 15, starting at verse 1. He says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more fruit. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch, and it withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. Did you hear that? If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Some people wonder why their Christianity does not produce any results, why their prayers don't seem to be answered. Well, I think Jesus just gave us a clue as to why it is that our prayers may not be answered. Jesus says, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. Did you hear that? When you produce fruit. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Did, did, you, did you hear that? If you obey my commandments, there's doing involved here, folks, not just believing. In fact, the doing is the evidence of the believing. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. How many want to be joyful? 
Why is it that so many Christians look like they've been baptized in vinegar? (laughs) You never see a smile on their face. They're cranky about going to church, cranky about singing. Do I have to raise my hand? Do I have to sing? Do I have to stand? Do I have to serve? Wow, what's going on here? Jesus says, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends, and that's exactly what Jesus is about to do. You're my friends if you do what I command. Let's stop there. Jesus is using this metaphor of the vine and the branches to teach us what our relationship to him ought to be. Jesus says that he is the vine, you and I are the branches. The one who tends the vine, the vine dresser or the gardener, is the father. And you and I need to be producing fruit. Now, these are the four things that we're going to be talking about starting today. The vine, next week's the gardener, then the branches, and then the fruit that you and I are supposed to produce. Because the fruit is the evidence, is the proof that you are connected to Jesus. If there's no fruit in your life, then you need to get on your knees and say, God, uh uh-oh, what's going on around here? I need to get sorted out. I need to make sure that I'm producing in my life the life that Jesus wants me to produce. Now, I want you to just look at that picture. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Taryn found that for me. Uh, It's just a luscious, luscious scene. You see the vine, and you see the fruits, and everything's is is alive and vibrant. Jesus is saying, take a look at this. This is what your life ought to look like. But here's what I know. Some of you are sitting here today, and in fact, your life is quite the opposite. If anything, if you were to draw a picture of your life, it'd be more like a desert or (laughs) withered, dried flowers. Jesus says, if you are remaining in Christ, this is what your life looks like. It's alive. It's luscious. It's It's vibrant. Full of, full of life. And Jesus says this. He says, remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. So I'm going to ask a question this morning. Uh, would you say that your life is producing the kind of fruit that Jesus is looking for? Don't, don't say anything out loud, but just think about it for a moment. Are you producing the fruit in your life that God expects you to produce as a believer. Now, here's something that's interesting. Jesus calls himself the vine. In fact, he calls himself the true vine. You may or may not know this, but Israel was actually referred to as the vine of God, the luscious vine of God. Did you know that? And here's what the Jews believe. They believe as long as, as, long as I'm con- we're connected to Israel, as long as I'm a Jewish person, as long as I belong to the people of God, then all is well. Isn't that right? Look at, look at this. Here's, here's what God says in, in Hosea and Jeremiah. In Hosea, how prosperous Israel is. A what? A luxuriant vine loaded with fruit. Can I just stop for a moment? You say, why, why, would, why would God be referring to Israel as a vine? And I'll, I'll tell you why. Because God's intention for Israel was to be the light of the world. They were supposed to be a light to all the nations, all the pagan nations around them. And everybody was supposed to, supposed to say, well, if I want to find God, I know where to find him. He's right in the middle of the Israelites. 
So Israel was supposed to be this vibrant, luscious vine, loaded with fruit, feeding the world, as it were, showing the world who God is. And then we read in Jeremiah 2.21, I had planted you like a choice vine. This is God speaking. I planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? It's amazing how that happens with us, isn't it? With we human beings. We, somehow, if, 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 it's so easy for us to forget about God and to become people who are or corrupt and wild and or just plain unfruitful. I want the Spirit of God to speak to you right now. I want you to I want you I want you to, to allow the Spirit of God to reveal to you where you are at in your spiritual life. Because here's what I'm going to tell you. The only way that you and I are going to be able to produce the fruit that God wants is for us every one of us, to stay connected to Jesus. You have to stay connected to Jesus. You have to remain in Christ. Look at this uh, picture of the, of the temple. You, uh, you may, not, may not be able to see it really. Well, let me give you a close-up there. If you look closely, you'll see that it's actually decorated with the vine. A lot of people don't know that. And if you look at the, around the door of the temple, uh, you'll see that there are grapevines around the columns and around the lintel. And let's just do a close-up of that as well. It's not a very good close-up, but you get the picture. Israel understood clearly this, this imagery, this metaphor of the vine. And Jesus says, look, no doubt looking at this with his disciples, saying, you see that? I'm going to tell you something. I'm the true vine. Not Israel, I am the true vine. It's not enough just to be an Israelite. You have to be connected to me if you're going to produce fruit. Let's, uh, let's bring this up to 2019. It's not just enough to go to church. It's not just enough to be a member of a church. It's not just enough to say, well, I was baptized once. You'll notice that Jesus does not say anything about baptism, doesn't say anything about the ordinances or sacraments. What he's saying, if you're going to produce fruit, if you're going to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, if you're going to be a true man or woman of God, you've got to stay connected to the vine. And so he says this in John 15, 1-2, I am the true grapevine. Not the church, not the family you grew up in, not your religious background, not your denomination. It's Jesus. Did you get that? Jesus has got to be the one you're connected to, or you are not going to produce the fruit that God is looking for. It's really important that you get this, because a lot of people think, I just have to go through the religious rituals once a week. That's good enough. And Jesus is saying, no, you don't get it at all. You don't understand it. I mean, there's nobody more religious than the Pharisees. I mean, they could quote the Bible chapter by chapter, book by book. And yet God, Jesus declared that they were a group of vipers, snakes. No clue, no understanding 
of what it meant to be a man or woman of God. Jesus says, I'm the true grapevine, and my father is a gardener, and he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. Now, this is a warning to us, isn't it? Are you producing fruit? Has the gardener got his axe ready to swing? He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that bear fruit so they'll produce even more. We're going to be talking about all of this over the next number of weeks. What it means to be pruned. What does it mean to be, to be producing fruit? What does it mean to allow the gardener, the father, to have his way in our lives? On our own, you and I simply cannot produce the fruit that God wants us to produce. And this is what Jesus wants us to understand. We are actually in relationship with him. He's doing a work in us and through us. Now, you know, when we first rolled out the seven habits, and by the way, I think we've got some uh, seven habits bookmarks in case anybody wants to take that home and just be re- you know, reminded and refreshed about that. Just ask one of the ushers for one at the end of the service. But when I first rolled out those seven habits, I thought everybody would be so ecstatic and so excited about that. And I was shocked uh, that there weren't as many people on board with it as I thought. Um, I recognized that they sim- people just simply didn't get it. They didn't understand it. They thought, this just sounds a little bit too religious to me. It just sounds, uh, it sounds formulaic. Well, it's not formulaic. Jesus said, do what I do. Follow me and do what I do. So listen to this, folks. If you and I are going to follow Jesus and do what he does, then we have to know what to do. And that's my job. Remember, we started by telling you what a pastor does. That's my job, is to help you, to teach you, so that you understand how to be a follower of Christ. I'm guessing people maybe feel it's too much like work, or it's like, oh, pastor, I'll just let me just come to church, sing a few songs, I'll give a Give five bucks an offering play, that's good enough. Well, look, at, if you want that kind of religion, then there's other churches in the city that would just be glad to have you. But if you want to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, well, you've come to the right place because I'm laying down my life to teach you how to do that. Some people have asked Gloria and I, how, how did you get such nice kids? Hey, I'm, I'm, if you think I'm bragging a little bit right now, I am. <laughs> well, I'm not really bragging because I know my kids have got feet of clay like I do and like the rest of us. But our kids serve Jesus, and people want to know how, how did that happen. I mean, it didn't happen by accident, I can tell you that. Uh, Gloria and I, do, we, you know, we don't just produce perfect kids. They need to be taught just like anybody else needs to be taught. But here's what we did. We actually taught them the seven habits when they were growing up. We didn't call them the seven habits. We didn't call them anything. We just said, this is how you have to live. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. This is what it means to be a calf. This is what you do. And so we taught them the habits of Christ. Now, let me just quickly remind you again what that first habit is. For habit number one is a daily walk with God. Another way to say that is remain in Christ. It means exactly the same. There's all kinds of ways that we can describe what it means to have a daily walk with God or what it means to remain in Christ. Essentially, it's two things, really. Or it begins with two things, and it can broaden to more. But it begins with two things. 
It's having a daily time of prayer where you're talking to the Father every day and you're pouring out your heart to him. In fact, it's really going through the Lord's Prayer. Not, not uh, our Father, our Father, how Amen! Not that kind of a prayer, because that's, that's formulaic. I'm talking about going through it slowly, where you, it, you recognize the Lord's Prayer is a skeleton, and you put the meat on it. You just you quietly and, and slowly go through that Lord's Prayer. And then you read your, read your Bible. Now you say, Pastor Allen, did Jesus really do that? Absolutely. Look at this. In Mark 1.35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. Here's the action. You see this? It's not just knowledge. It's action. I want you to see that. Jesus got up. And here's the next action. He left the house, and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now look at If Jesus has to do this so that he can stay connected, remain connected to the Father, do you really think that you can stay connected to God if you don't pray? Even Jesus had to pray to stay connected to the Father. And this is the reason why Jesus is able to say things like this. I and the Father are one. Remember he said that? And he said, what else does he say? He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And whatever the Father does, the Son does. What's going on here, folks? Jesus is describing the way that he is connected to the Father. He remains connected to the Father. And guess what? You and I as Christians have to remain connected to Christ. So yes, Jesus definitely saying that you have to pray. And you say, well, what about reading your Bible? Well, it's, I'm glad you asked that question because in John chapter 15, verse 3, Jesus says, you have already been, pr- been pruned and purified by what? By the message that I've given you, by the word of God. If you're going to stay connected to the vine, if you're going to remain in Christ, you have to be praying and you have to be reading your Bible every day. You've got to allow the spirit of God to work in you. Hey, let me just, let me just uh, put it in simple terms so it doesn't sound religious. I have, a, I have a, a marvelous relationship with my wife. In August, we'll be married 30 years. And how do you think that happened? It's not just by Gloria putting up with me. But Gloria and I talk all the time. In fact, I know there's something wrong if she's not talking. And vice versa. Because if anybody knows, doesn't know me, or I'll I'll tell you, I'm a talker. I like to talk. I want to communicate. I want to pour out my heart. And Jesus is saying the same thing. If you want to have a connection or have a, a relationship with God, you have to be in relationship to him. There's only one way to have a relationship with anybody, and that's by communication. Get it? You communicate with God, and God communicates with you. How do we communicate with God? We pray. And how does God communicate with us? Through his word, by reading the Bible. It's that simple but that difficult. I know some of you are sitting here, oh, I've heard this a million times. The question is, are you doing it? Right? And that, that's always where the rubber meets the road. If you are not praying, if you're not reading your Bible every day, I can guarantee you that right now you are not producing fruit in your life that God would be pleased with. In fact, you are probably falling into temptation every day. You are probably flying off the handle, bad-tempered, no fruit of the Spirit, no joy, no happiness. 
You probably are not living at peace with the people in your life. You're, you're out of control, no self-control. How do I know this about you? Because I'm like you. I'm exactly the same. I need to remain in Christ. If I don't remain in Christ, then I'm in trouble. When I was a youth pastor starting out, I, my phone was ringing off, off, off the hook all the time. Pastor Ron, I need to have a meeting with you. Can I get counseling? i got to come and see you. And parents, i got to bring my kids in. And I was like overwhelmed by all this. And then I was praying and saying, God, show me what to do because I don't know what to do with all these people that are d- demanding so much of me. And as I was praying, I came across John chapter 15. And so the lights went on. And so then I told all the young people, I will be glad to counsel you, but first you have to do your devotions. Now, by doing your devotions, that's just another way of saying walking with God or remaining in Christ. You have to go pray and read your Bible, meet with God, and after you've done that, if you still need to talk to me, then I'll be glad to talk to you. How many know that God is a far greater counselor than, than, than any pastor? You understand that. In fact, that's what, that's what we read in, uh, in, in Isaiah, that the description of, of, of Jesus Christ is the, is the mighty counselor. You know what? My, my counseling... It, it dropped by 90%. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. It's like almost no, because everybody knows if, I, if they come to Pastor Allen and they need help, the first thing I'm going to say is, did you do your devotions? No, I don't know. Uh, I don't know about you, but this speaks powerfully to my heart. And we're quick to run to the doctor, run to, run to the psychologist, the psychiatrist, the counselor. Run, run. We need to talk to somebody. No, you need to talk to God. You need to meet with the Lord and allow him to speak to your heart. And I'm going to tell you, he's going to tell you exactly what you need to hear. Not what you want to hear. How I many know there's a difference? He's going to tell you what you need to hear. And sometimes the father brings out that scalpel and cuts off those things that don't belong, and it hurts, and it's ouch, but man, it's exactly what we needed. I told Sarah, when she said, Dad, I want to, I was supposed to say pastor. Dad, <laughs> pastor, Dad, I, I want to go to Toronto, and I want to take, take that course in Toronto, the dental hygienist course. And here's what I said to her. I said, Sarah, I will block you. I will do everything in my power to stop you from going anywhere until you learn to have a daily walk with God. Now, she could have got very angry at me and like, how dare you? I'm, I'm 18. But she respects her dad. And she said, okay, dad, I, I, I want to take you up on that. And so I showed her how to simply read the Bible, take a little ruler and a pencil, and underline those verses that really jump out at you and speak to you. And then you know that God's speaking to you. And so Sarah, she underlines verses in her Bible, makes little notations. I've since heard that she showed other kids how to do that. It thrills my heart. But she knows how to have a walk with God. And I, I phone her now. She's in Toronto. Gloria will phone her, and she'll say, uh, yeah, I was reading the Bible, and God said this to me, or God showed me that, and God showed me the other thing. And in my heart, my heart is just filled with joy and gladness. Because here's what I know. Although I'm not there to protect her and help her and guide her and provide for her, I know who is. It's my Father in heaven who loves her 
who loves her far more than I'll ever love her and can protect her far better than I can protect her and can guide her and counsel her and help her far better than I ever can. As long as my kids are connected to the Father, remaining in Christ, then I know this, they're going to be okay. And as your pastor, I can say this, as long as I know that you are praying and reading your Bible every day, as long as I know you're remaining in Christ, I know you're going to be okay. I know that you're going to produce fruit, fruit that will last for eternity. Would you stand with me, please? Father, thank you. Thank you for your presence here. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. Thank you for what you've shown us today. Some of us, it's been a long time since we've cracked open our Bibles. It's been a long time since we spent any time in prayer. We pray right now, Father, in Jesus' name, that you would work in us, strengthening us, enabling us, empowering us, showing us, God, how to have this daily walk with you. And God, thank you right now that you want to help us and you want to guide us. So we commit ourselves to you now. In Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Amen. Tell the person beside you, go pray and read your Bible. Thank <laughs> you.